the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. We're going to start reading at verse 36, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Luke tells us, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus into his house saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this? who even forgives sins. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, this time that we have between Christmas and Lent in the Christian tradition is called epiphany, which is a Greek word that means revealing or illuminating. And the traditional, the traditional theme for this season of epiphany between the manger and the cross is to meditate on the person and the identity of Jesus. Who is this man? Jesus is many things. 
He's the son of Mary, the adopted son of Joseph. He's named Jesus, which means Savior. He's called the Messiah or the Christ. Two words that in Greek and Hebrew mean the same thing. The anointed one or the chosen one. He's a rabbi, a teacher. And by all accounts, he's a person of incredible power. He has the power to heal. Power over nature. Power to turn water into wine. Power even to forgive sin. Last Sunday, Pastor Carl preached on two stories of Christ's healing. In the first of these stories, Jesus healed a leper, a social outcast who was considered unclean and was not welcome in regular society. Jesus healed him and he told him to go and pre present himself to the priests and to go back to life in the community. In the second story, Jesus healed a man who had been paralyzed in order to demonstrate his own power over disease. But in both of these stories, as Pastor Carl pointed out last week, the true power of Jesus, the true power that Jesus demonstrates in these encounters is the power to forgive sin. And this is a big deal, as we learned from the Pharisees last Sunday, because only God has the power to forgive sin. And so those two stories taught us that Jesus has the power to forgive sins because Jesus is God. Jesus has the power to forgive sins because Jesus is God. And in our story today, we see a lot of similar themes. There's no physical healing in this story. But once again, we find Jesus in a conversation with a Pharisee. The, and the Pharisees were this uh, conservative religious group that was very popular in Jesus' time. So once again, we find Jesus dialoguing with the Pharisees. Once again, we find Jesus telling a sinner that they're forgiven. Once again, we, the, the Pharisees question whether Jesus can really do this. And once again, Jesus asserts that he does indeed have this power. And so, once again, we are taught implicitly in Luke's beautifully subtle way that Jesus is God. But the focus of this story is not on Jesus' act of forgiveness. The focus of this story isn't even on the fact that Jesus is God. The focus of this story that Luke tells is on the response of the woman who has been forgiven. Luke actually spends quite a significant amount of time in this story describing the woman's response. And the amazing thing about this, this woman is that in the entire story, she doesn't say a single word. Not a single word. There's a lot of talking in this story. Simon the Pharisee talks, Jesus talks, people talk in this story. But this woman doesn't talk. She just does what she does. And her actions speak for themselves. I think that it would really have been an incredible thing to witness. Here we have Jesus, who is pretty well known by this time. Uh, he's, he's pretty well respected. And he's here in the house of a prominent Pharisee named Simon. 
And it was pretty common back in that day for famous teachers and thinkers and religious leaders to, to, to invite other famous teachers and thinkers and leaders over for a kind of like open forum conversation. And this is probably a situation like that. So Simon the Pharisee has heard about Jesus and his teaching, and so Simon the Pharisee has invited Jesus to his house for a kind of open public dialogue. And the way that this would go was that Jesus would come to Simon's house, and he would recline at his table, and he would share a meal with him, and they would just talk. And the news would have been kind of spread around town that, that Jesus was going to Simon the Pharisee's house for, for this dialogue, and the door would have been left open, and people would come in and kind of stand around the room just, just, just to hear the conversation between these two great thinkers, these two great men. And right in the middle of this dialogue, this woman comes in. A woman with a reputation, a woman who people know. And she stands behind Jesus, who's reclining at the table, eating and dialoguing with Simon the Pharisee. She stands behind Jesus, and she starts crying. And she cries so much that her tears wet his feet. And so she bends down, and she dries off his feet with her hair. And then she kisses his feet and takes out this jar of expensive perfume and anoints his feet with that perfume. And she just stays there, kissing Jesus' feet. And it may seem strange to us now, maybe, but in Jesus' day, all three of these things were signs of great respect. But Simon is not impressed. And the text isn't clear as to whether Simon kind of like says this in his head and Jesus just knows that he's thinking it or if he kind of like mutters it under his breath. But he doesn't say it to anybody. He says it to himself is what the text says. So Simon says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him, what, what kind of a woman she is. He would know that she's a sinner. Simon's not impressed that this woman has interrupted his, his event. Simon's not impressed that this woman is in his house, although it would have been terribly uh, dishonorable and disrespectful for him as the, the, the master of the house to ask her to leave. But more than that, Simon is not that impressed with Jesus. He isn't impressed that Jesus would tolerate the presence of this sinner, especially a woman sinner. And he really isn't impressed that Jesus is willing to accept all of these rituals of respect and dignity that she's giving to him. If Jesus really knew who this woman was, Simon thinks, he would send her away. But the actions of this woman who recognizes her own sinfulness and expresses profound humility, respect, and devotion to Jesus offers an opportunity for a moment of teaching. And so Jesus responds to Simon, who's not at all impressed at this point. And he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. 
And Simon replies with what in the Greek is just two words. Teacher, speak. And so Jesus tells him a parable. Two debtors owed a certain creditor. One owed him two years' worth of wages. The other owed him two months' worth of wages. And since neither had the money to pay him back, he forgave both debts. Which of them, do you think, will love him more? And Simon says, I guess the one who was more forgiven. And Jesus says, you've judged rightly. Then Jesus turns to face the woman. But he's still talking to Simon. Jesus turns to face the woman, but he's still talking to Simon. And he says, do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you didn't give me water to wash my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You did not greet me with a kiss. But since I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with myrrh. And because of her great love, I can tell you with confidence, her many sins have been forgiven. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus turns to the woman, and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. And the people are amazed. It's an amazing story, a story with more than a little irony. Jesus is reclining at the table of an important religious leader, an important teacher, and people have gathered to hear the conversation. And Simon gets right to it. Jesus comes in, and they recline, and they begin their meal. Now, all of these things that Jesus says about washing feet and greeting with a kiss and anointing with oil, these, these weren't things that would have been expected from Simon. These weren't, these weren't obligatory things that a host would have to do. So nobody would have been bothered that Simon hadn't done these things for Jesus. No, it's not like they would have been standing around the corner of the room, like whispering to each other, like, did you see that? Simon didn't give Jesus any water for his feet. He didn't, he didn't even greet him with a kiss. Can you believe that? that that's, that's not what would have been going on. People would have known. I mean, no, nobody would have been bothered by the fact that these things didn't happen. These were all extraordinary marks of hospitality. Something that you would do for someone who was more important than you were. It's, it's like if one of your coworkers or classmates or, or, or just one of your friends came over for coffee, right? Uh, you answer the door in your blue jeans and your t-shirt and you pour a cup of the leftover Maxwell House that you brewed for the morning and you offer them some, some milk from the fridge and some sugar if they take it. But if your boss comes over for coffee, or an important client, or a distinguished professor, then you, you, know, you put on your button-down shirt and your slacks, and you, you, you get out the, the whole bean, uh, fresh roasted stuff from the, from the, local, uh, the local coffee roaster, and, and you grind it, and, and you, you, know, you serve it on a, on a little tray with your matching uh, 
designed china set on saucers with like a, a little like float for like some nice cream and then some sugar cubes and maybe a little plate of biscotti or something. But if your friend came over, nobody would, they wouldn't expect you to do that. They would be like, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? So Simon, in the way that he receives Jesus, isn't being a bad host. He's just letting everybody in the room know that he and Jesus are equals. He just wants everybody to be clear that Jesus is not more important than he is. They're equals. They're both men of standing. They're both religious leaders. They're both well-known and well-respected teachers. So he doesn't give Jesus any special honors or treat him with special dignity or treat him any differently than he would anyone else who was on the level. Simon sees Jesus as an equal. But this woman sees Jesus totally differently. This woman recognizes her own sin. She recognizes her own failures. She recognizes that Jesus is far greater than she is. And so she treats him with all the honor and dignity and respect that he deserves. She washes his feet, which is a sign of servanthood and devotion. She kisses his feet, a sign of obedience and respect. She anoints his feet with expensive perfume, a sign of his authority and honor. And she has planned all of this because she believes what Jesus is saying. She has faith. This isn't like a random act of kindness, like this woman is just walking around with an expensive bottle of perfume everywhere, and then she's like, oh, this guy seems nice, I'll give it to him. Luke doesn't tell us if she's met Jesus before or if she's just heard of his teaching that God forgives sins. But either way, she believes Jesus' message. And she is grateful because of it. This woman has heard that Jesus is going to be at Simon's house. And knowing that her sins are forgiven, she goes to say, thank you. And this is important for us to recognize because in some of our English translations, it can seem like Jesus is saying, I'm going to forgive her sins because of her great display of love. But in the Greek, it's very clear that Jesus is saying to Simon, I know that her sins are forgiven because she is showing great love. She has great love because she has already been forgiven. Not the other way around. She's not forgiven because she shows great love. She shows great love because she's forgiven. And so he says to Simon, because of her great love, I can say to you with confidence that her sins have been forgiven. Because people who haven't been forgiven don't love like this. And this is where we see the irony. Because we all know that Simon, Simon's on this side, Simon is a sinner too. Because we're all sinners. But the Pharisees didn't see it that way. The Pharisees thought that salvation was something that you had to earn through the hard work of righteousness. 
That if you were diligent and vigilant in doing good, in following the law, in keeping the commandments, then maybe you could earn enough gold stars that God would give you salvation. Say your prayers, obey the commandments, make your sacrifices just in case, go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, keep all your ducks in a row, and maybe you'll earn enough credit to pay off your debt. But here, Jesus takes the example of this woman and uses her example to teach Simon. Simon, the Pharisee, the great teacher of the law, the great religious leader. And Jesus says, you know, Simon, this woman has a lot to teach you about forgiveness. And the example is not in what she says, because she doesn't say anything. It's what she does. And what she does doesn't earn her forgiveness. What she does is her response to a forgiveness that has been freely given to her. And this is one of the things that we really emphasize in the Reformed tradition. John Calvin and other writers call it the third use of the law, which sounds very, like, teaching. But we believe that the law of God, summarized in the Ten Commandments, does three important things. First, as we heard this morning, the law teaches us how great our sin is. Because when we look at the law, we realize that we can't live up to it perfectly. That by our own power, we can't do what God requires of us. Because it's not just what we do, it's what we think. And so like when Exodus 20 says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, or love, love the Lord your God and serve him only, have no other gods before me. What that, what that means isn't, what, what that means is like in your heart, in your mind, in everything that you do, don't allow anything to distract you from God, not your wealth, not your power, not your job, not your family, not, not, not anything. Nothing should distract you from your love of God. When God says do not murder, Jesus teaches us in the New Testament that that doesn't just mean don't kill other people. It also means like don't harbor any resentment or hatred against them in your heart. Don't think bad things about them. Don't, don't say mean things about them. That's what it means to not murder. And so the Apostle Paul tells us in his letter to the Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all debtors. And none of us have what it takes to pay off the great debt that we owe to God. That's the first use of the law. It teaches us how great our sin is. The second use of the law is that it points us to Jesus. Jesus tells us throughout the Gospels that he has come to fulfill the law, that all the law and the prophets point to him as the Messiah and the Savior of the world. The Apostle Paul echoes this. He tells us that the law is kind of like a road map that, that like steers us toward Christ, or like, like training wheels that, that, that weave us in the direction of Christ. That's the second use of the law. But the third use of the law is what we're concerned about today. The third use of the law is that the law 
teaches us how to live lives of gratitude. The law teaches us how we can say thank you to God for everything that he's done for us. Because when we realize how great our sin is, when we realize that we can't pay off this great debt that we owe to God, and, and then we realize that Jesus has done that work for us, that he has forgiven our sins, that he has paid our debt freely, not because of anything that we've done to deserve it. We want to say thank you. And the law of God teaches us how to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God, how to live a life that says thank you to God for everything that he's done for us. The law teaches us how to live with great love in response to God's great forgiveness. And that's the response of this woman in this story. The woman in this story isn't interested in debate. She's not interested in conversation. She doesn't want to talk about it. She just wants to show Jesus that she is thankful. And she does this through her deeds, through the way she lives. It reminds me of an illustration by the evangelical pastor and writer Francis Chan. Francis Chan says, like, imagine if my daughter came to me and was like, Dad, thank you so much for everything that you do and for caring for me and, and, and for everything that you do for me. I love you so much. How can I show you that I'm thankful? And he says, well, it'd be really nice if you cleaned your room. Go clean your room. And then he goes to work, and he works hard, and, and he earns money to pay off the mortgage so that she can have a place to live and to buy groceries so that she can eat and, and to put gas in the car so that he can take her to school. And then he comes home, and he's like, did you clean your room? And she says, well, no. But I thought a lot about what you said, and I prayed about it, and I journaled about it, and I invited a bunch of my friends over, and we talked about it. We talked about, about cleaning our rooms and how that's an important thing to do. And, and, and you, you know, we, we, we even talked about, like, the best ways to do it and how it shows that, that we love our dads and, 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 and how to clean our room in, in the best way so that it shows you that, that I really love you and I, I'm really thankful for everything that you've done for us. And my friends all thought that it would be really good if I cleaned my room and that that would really show you that I love you. And they even thought that it would be good if they cleaned their rooms to show their dads that they loved them. So I feel like I've come a long way. <laughs> and then he's like, go clean your room. <laughs> go clean your room right now. And the story's amazing, because that's so often what we do. Sometimes it feels like that is our response to God's grace. 
rather than showing God that we love him through our lives, through our displays of love, through our service to him, like the woman in this story. We prefer to sit and talk about it, like Simon. And we talk, and we talk, and we talk, and we talk endlessly about how best to show our love to God. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus doesn't really demand that much of us. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have all our ducks in a row. We don't have to try and save ourselves by our own effort. Jesus simply says, whoever is forgiven much, loves much. It's a natural response. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The burden of following Jesus is simply to accept the free gift that he offers, the gift of forgiveness, the gift of salvation. And that's what faith is. Faith is trusting that the words of Jesus are true. Faith is trusting that the salvation that Jesus promises is real. Faith is trusting that when Jesus says, I have forgiven your sins and made you right in the eyes of God, that you believe that your sins have been forgiven and that you've been made right in the eyes of God. And that's why Jesus tells this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This woman is saved because she trusts Jesus. She trusts that Jesus is telling the truth when he says that her sins are forgiven. She trusts that Jesus has done everything for her already. She trusts that Jesus has paid the great debt that she owes to God. And her response is simply to pour out her love. She just pours out her love. In our baptism, Jesus washes our feet. Jesus says to us, all of these promises that I've made to you, all of these promises that God makes in Scripture, I have accomplished for you. I have washed you clean. I have forgiven your sins. I have paid your debt. I have made you holy in the sight of God. Everything has already been done. And one day, as we grow, we realize the enormity of what God has done for us. And we return to this stage to make our profession of faith, to profess our trust in Jesus Christ, our trust in these promises, to profess our love for the God who saves us, and we wash his feet with our tears, and we kiss him, and we anoint him with expensive perfume, the expensive perfume of our love, 
And those actions speak louder than our words ever could. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. O Lord our God, we thank you for the gracious gift of your love to us. We thank you that you have forgiven the great debt that we owe to God. We thank you that you have wiped it clean and washed it away by your own sacrifice. O Lord our God, we thank you that you have saved us. We love you. And we pray that you would strengthen us through your Holy Spirit so that more and more we are transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. So that on that blessed day, when you return, we can stand in peace, in knowledge that we belong in the kingdom of God. Bless us, O Lord, we pray. Amen.